I'm Chaplain Jacob Scott of the Oregon National Guard. This is the Hope in the Trenches podcast. We're going forward. I'll sit down for conversations with people who offer interesting and informative perspectives on finding strength for life and work in the trenches and even improving our spiritual posture. Whether you feel like you're under heavy bombardment or ready to go over the top toward a new objective, it's good to be with you. Our guest today is Jason Gardner. Jason's our first repeat guest on Hope in the Trenches. He's a speaker and trainer with Echelon Front, a leadership consulting firm. Jason is a retired Navy SEAL and proven combat leader. He retired in 2019 after nearly three decades in the SEAL teams that included nine deployments, including Somalia, Iraq, and Afghanistan. He has experience at every level of leadership, from the front line as a sniper to, to the SEAL Team 5 Command Master Chief. He served as a lead instructor for Naval, Naval Special Warfare Group 1 Training Detachment, where he created and implemented realistic and challenging special operations combat training to better prepare SEAL units for their real-world deployments. He's the recipient of the Silver Star, two Bronze Stars, a Purple Heart, and numerous other awards and decorations. Jason was the keynote speaker for the Oregon Army National Guard Association's annual meeting at Camp Whitcomb at the end of April. So after he spoke, I got to sit down with him and the top three senior enlisted leaders for the Oregon National Guard. We hope you enjoy the conversation because we certainly had a great time recording. Very good. Well, our guest today is Jason Gardner again. Welcome back to Oregon. Thanks for having me. Yeah, thanks so much for being here. And uh, at the table this afternoon, we've got, no kidding, about 150 years time and service in uniform. I've got the senior enlisted leaders for the Oregon National Guard. And I'm just to let you guys, gentlemen, go around and introduce yourselves. Yeah, I'm Chief Master Sergeant Dan Connor. I'm the command senior enlisted leader for the state of Oregon. Hello, I'm Dominic Engel. I am the... <laughs> Command Chief for the Air Component for the State of Oregon. And afternoon, I'm Command Sergeant Major Lee Smith. I'm the State Sergeant Major for the Army side of the house and here in Oregon. Thanks for having me back, Chief Chaplain. Absolutely. It's, it's great to be with you all again. Well, Jason, we were just um, thrilled to have you here speaking to the Oregon National Guard Association and, and the leaders of the, of the Oregon National Guard, both Army and Air. Uh, phenomenal pre presentation, and thank you for sharing what you've learned over your time in uniform and the lessons that um, your new mission now, taking, taking those lessons out, into the, into the, out around the country. Mm -hmm. Well, Jason, so um, your passion for teaching obviously comes through when you're, when you're on stage and, and teaching the laws of combat and extreme ownership. What are, what are some of your favorite leadership topics to teach? Yeah, the, the, the first law of combat, cover and move, and where the relationships piece comes into that. Because I can just think of so many examples across the course of my career where that has just made my life easier and it's made my life the easier for the folks that are working for me and, and, and then it's easier to work for people above me too. Um, and, and here's something that I've been paying attention to lately. Like, the relationship that you most need to fix in your life is the most fractured relationship. So you think of mm -hmm. that supply chief that you really don't like because you feel like they treat all the supply gear like it's theirs and they don't want to issue, issue it to you or the admin chief or whoever it is. Um, 
what you need to do is find out where your common ground is with that person. And once that you establish the common ground, and that is like, hey, he likes to fish out for walleye, and I like to fish for walleye too, or we both like the same kind of music, or we both like the same movies, or we both eat the same at the restaurant. Doesn't matter who it is on the planet, there is something that you have in common with them. Mm-hmm. And there's there's hacks to it, right? You go go out and look at their car. Are they driving a Ford Chevy or a Dodge? What kind of stickers are in the back window? Um, if you go in their office, do they have plants in their office? What pictures do they have? Do they have pictures of their family? Is that important? Right, right away, though, there are all these little indicators of something that you can talk about that's common ground. And you'll find that once you have that conversation with that person that maybe you didn't like before, and you just focus on that common ground, that you, you're going to mentally take them off of one list and put them onto another list. And they're doing the exact same thing for you. And if you're paying attention to interactions like that, it'll clean everything up. And so I found as a leader in the military, the problem that, and when I got up into the, the command master chief role, to most of the people at the command, I'm this guy that's been there forever. I'm up on the third deck, and I'm likely to come yell at them because they're out of uniform or they don't have a haircut. And in interacting with them, they would never be comfortable interacting with me unless I figured out what that common what that common ground was with them. Hmm. And to do that, I just had to make myself available and just to fish around for those things. Hey, fellas, what'd you do this weekend? Wait a minute, you went fishing? Whoa, you know, and, and talk to him about that or or talk to him about barbecue or, or whatever. And I don't, th- there, there are most times when we started the conversation with that and I just focused on whatever their common ground is, whatever we shared as people, then they would get around to like, hey, Mass Chief, well, why are we deploying here? Or why... Why do we do this or why don't we get this training? And then I can have a conversation with them and they're usually satisfied with the answer because they've taken me off one list and put me on another one and now I'm actually a person. They have to figure out that I'm a person. Um, Isn't that funny? There's a whole bunch of Middle East deployments sitting at this table too. mm -hmm. And when they talk to us about doing uh, leader engagements out in in the uh, the AOR, right? Talk about... In that culture, you've got to build a relationship before you can start talking business. Yep. How, how come that's so hard for us to do with our own people in uniform? It was hard for me to do with them because I just wanted to jump to the point. Where's Osama bin Laden right now? <laughs> like, no, they want to talk yeah. about their families and everything else. Mm-hmm. And, I, and, and yeah. I just had to develop some patience and um, really learn how to finesse it and build those relationships because you're absolutely right you're going to sit there and you're going to drink chai tea until you're a type 2 diabetic there's so much sugar in three there. cubes yeah yeah yeah, yeah I'd, I'd suggest building relationships not only with your subordinates but with your your leaders those that are that you're responsible to right so mm-hmm. uh, i think that's important and, and and maybe what are the techniques you used for that so we we talked about like being able to lead up the chain of command and in mm-hmm. the thing where I said, hey, that's really hard for people to wrap their heads around. So just think about this. Don't think about leading up the chain of command. Think about influencing up the chain of command because that's all leadership is, is influence, right? Mm-hmm. I'm influencing people to uh, solve a problem or complete a goal. 
and it's the most efficient way. So if I want to have good influence over a leader, I need to develop a relationship. And one of the ways I do that is just by doing what they tell me, you know, and as long as, as long as it's not unethical, illegal, and unsafe, most things just do it, mm-hmm. do it, you know, and, and have fun while you're doing it. And then that allows you to build up some capital and develop that relationship with the leader. So if there is something that you ever have to push back on, you actually have a chance. Because if you push back on everything, you're, you, they just turn you off and you have no chance of influencing up. Um, and there's a limit to how much any leader can understand what's going on beneath them. And you're actually, you're doing your leader a disservice if you're not able to develop a good relationship with them and communicate up the chain of command, hey, here's where our friction points are. And here's what we need to think about. Because we, t- we talk about toxic leadership a lot, but there are toxic followers too, aren't there? Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. And we've all seen the guy, and I've been one of them, mm-hmm. where they're like, hey, we need to go to this training. And then you roll your eyes in front of everybody else. So oh, we go to another dumb training event. And nine times out of 10, well, every time we're doing training in the military, it's written in blood. Mm-hmm. It's because someone else did something stupid, and, and now we, we're going to have training on it. And typically, there were already rules to stop them from doing that, and they did it anyway. Um, but that, that stuff doesn't, it doesn't help because you're going to get stuck doing it anyway. Uh, I've got a quick story about a leader that really influenced me um, when I was younger, and it had to do with Friday cleanups. Uh, and if I, I think you shared this story last time. I did about the heads. Okay, cool. Yeah, you clean, got it. Seals cleaning latrines. I don't think uh, yeah, too many our, of our listeners have heard. Yeah, yeah, we're cleaning latrines, and my boss is like, "Hey, we got we got to do it." So he made it fun, and then I actually had fun doing it. And then we got done early, and we always passed inspection, and we got to leave. And then after that, we were always volunteering to clean the latrine. <laughs> And it was all in the attitude of that leader. It's all, it's all contagious and it bleeds down. And so it's like one of those, you know, that's stoic philosophy. It's like you're stuck doing what you're doing. You might as well have fun doing it. Mm-hmm. So talking about, hey, Jason, uh, leadership challenges, influencing people, um, influencing subordinates and influencing up the chain of command. Do you have a, an example of probably the most challenging experience when it came to leadership in the SEAL teams? What that, you know, kind of give an example of what that was and how you handled it? I was putting you on the spot. There, there. Yeah, there were some, there was like, when I was a young leader, there, there were some guys that would do stuff and then I'd just yell at them. And then they would just do it again. You know, I was like constantly yelling at a guy about, he's like, dude, I need you to cut your hair. And, and it was because I was frustrated with them and I didn't, I wasn't looking at it from the right direction. Then one day I, I was thinking about just the whole good order and discipline thing, right? You know, and, it, and it's like when everybody's at a unit, everyone's out of uniform and their stuff, you just start to get heat. The, the senior enlisted guy is getting heat from all directions. And then a lot of times he gets frustrated and he just starts barking at everybody. Cut your hair, be in a good uniform. And, and I was thinking about it and I was like, well, I'm, I'm actually, I want the person, they're gonna be a better person if they look professional. 
And so I pulled it back to that and I came up with a saying, professionalism equals freedom of movement. Yep. Mm-hmm. Because that, that's what, it, what, what happened with me. When I cleaned up my haircut and started putting it on in a good uniform, because that same leader, Danny Carroll, had said to me, I, I, so I, I had just come from the barbershop and he's reading the book. I stopped by his room and he's like, hey, what are you doing? I got inside, I just got a haircut. And he looks at me, he goes, really? He goes, you're going to be out of regs tomorrow. And he just he laughs at me, but he says it not in an angry way. He's like, man, just try getting inside the regs and be in a decent uniform and see how much easier your life is. And I was like, okay, I tried it. And it worked almost <laughs> right away. Right away. People were like, happy to see me. They're giving me more responsibility. I'm getting more latitude. Yep. And I was like, this is great. You're kidding me. I missed out on this. So then, then I, I'd forgotten that lesson when I promoted it. And I was like, Hey, you know, Schmuckatelli, cut your hair or whatever. And I'm, and I was just like, have these conversations with them. It's like, Hey man, do you think you look professional right now when you're not in regs? Well, you know, that really shouldn't matter. I'm like, yeah, okay, I know you. I, I know that you your gear is squared away, but if I don't know you, do, do I think that? Well, probably not. Right, right. You know, check it out. If a guy comes over to your house and he wants to take your daughter out on a date and he's rolling with his pants about mid-thigh, are you stoked about that? Hmm. Nope. Well, how dare you judge him by how he looks, you know? And so that's what people are doing. And I'm just like, your life's just going to be easier. And what's more... We're in a big competition with all these other units to get work. And I want to get us out on the battlefield. And so when these other flag officers, they come by and they look at us and they see us all professional, do you think they're going to want to take risk and let us go do things? Yeah. But the bottom line is it I had to have an internal dialogue with myself that said, I want the best for you. When I was telling people how to get up to the standards, because when people are up to the standards, it makes them a better person, right? They're a better member of the military. They're a better member of the community. They're a better, you know, whatever you name out there, when they're up to those standards, they're better. And so when I had that in the back of my mind, I was able to have these conversations with them. And then my complete tone was different because I wasn't coming from a place of anger. I was coming from a place of hey, I want you to be better. And so that, that comes across in, in that all that nonverbal communication. And then when someone wants the best for you, it's hard to push back on that. Right. Yeah, and that builds confidence too amongst, yep. the, amongst the team or amongst your squad or whatever you're dealing with. Yeah, yeah absolutely. And trust, and, and trust too. When, when they believe and, they, and you've demonstrated that you actually care about them and, and, and their well-being. Yeah, cause, and then, so like, as I'm thinking of it right now, when I'm yelling at people, I'm, I'm mad because I'm getting heat. But when I'm giving you like, hey, bro, you're, here's how it's going to be better for you. Now I'm actually not concerned about whatever heat I get. And you know what? I can take all that heat. Um, and I deserve it, actually, if I haven't been leaning into these problems and spending time and explaining to my subordinates, hey, here's why it's important to be up to the standards. But that's hard to do in the moment. It's it's like oh, yeah. black belt level emotional jujitsu <laughs> to be able to detach from those emotions because you just got barked at because one of your guys was over at the base PX in just looking like a dirt bag, you know? 
You're like, grr. But then you're like, okay, well, check. Hey, I got it. I'll go. I got to go fix that. And I got to go spend some more time with that person. And when you do that, you get to the situation, hopefully eventually, you will get there mm-hmm. where folks start looking out for each other because they're taking a little bit of pride in uh, how they are. It's and, really contagious. Oh, it is. It is. Well, and I, and I one, of my men, one of my mentors, um, well, it was at the semin- uh, cemetery. It was at the cemetery. It was at the seminary. <laughs> Yeah, no, we're not there yet. It was at the, was at the seminary, and and he was talking about going going into a church, and he said um, he would introduce himself to the to the people now that he's been called to lead and to serve, and he would say, "Look, if if we are together for long enough, there's going to be a time where I'm going to let you down, mm-hmm. and so I, I I pray that I will have treated you with enough grace that when I let you down, you'll you'll show the same grace to me, right? And I think if you do have to if you treat your people with respect and build that trust, then you kind of get some slack to lose your temper every now and then, or, um, or maybe they give you that leeway if they, if they trust you and they care about you up the chain as well. Yes. Let Jason, like you were talking earlier about some emotional deposits and then withdrawals. Sometimes mm-hmm. you make these emotional deposits and then you have a bank account to make that withdrawal when necessary. Absolutely. And so then, then that's those, those are the times when I make those withdrawals where I'm just like, Hey, everybody, we got to do this now. We don't have time to questions. I need you to go over there, you to go over there, you, you know, and be very direct, which is a less than ideal way to lead most times. But people will let that happen. And you just have to realize, okay, that was a withdrawal. Next time I'm better off to saying, Hey, folks, here's what we need to get done. Let me hear what your ideas are on how we're going to get it done. And that, and then that's a that's a better way to do. And and what's the next level below what we were just saying, where the people are going to give me some breaks? How about giving myself a break? Hmm. So I find when I think about being kind or less judgmental with other folks, it results in me being less judgmental with myself. Um, and and. Uh, I, I don't think I'm the only one that has a negative internal dialogue. Most people probably do. Most of us look in the mirror and we can find every stinking little flaw that we think we have. And then we're going to beat ourselves up over it. We're going to beat ourselves up over stuff that we did 10 years ago and last year and today. And I'm, I'm not to say that you don't just blow it off, but you can't just continue to beat, beat yourself up. But if you, if you treat others with empathy, you wind up treating yourself with empathy and now it's an upward spiral, right? And I suspect that's what Jesus was talking about when he said, judge not lest ye be judged. Mm-hmm. You go judging other people, you're really gonna you're you're really just judgmental on yourself as a byproduct of that. Right. And so, you know, one of the things I brought up today when we were talking that just came to me up on the stage is like, who's the easiest people for most of us to judge? It's that poor homeless person who's standing out front of Walmart or whatever, holding up a sign in the rain, and you're like, get a job, loser. You know, that's what you're thinking. And they're like, wait a minute. It's not easy to stand out in the weather and hope people give you a handout. Their lives cannot be easy. I don't think they're living it up in these tent cities that you see underneath the, you know, the overpasses or wherever, wherever all the homeless people are at. And so I... I don't think that it's it's not the right thing for me to judge them. They obviously they're carrying a lot more baggage than I've got. 
Very true. Hey, Jason, on that, on that same thread of, of looking at yourself, as leaders, we spend a lot of time trying to take care of our airmen and soldiers, excuse me, mm-hmm. and, and we spend all of our time, and sometimes we, we end up being fueled on coffee and ibuprofen. We, we forget to take care of ourselves. Right. Can you comment a little bit on how taking care of yourself as a leader translate to a, uh, translates to a more effective leadership style? Oh, absolutely. If you're not at the top of your game, then you're not showing up to work ready to lead. And so if you're, you know, if you didn't get enough sleep last night, if, you, if you're having troubles at home and you're emotionally not on top of the game, it's going to affect how you are at work. We all know this. It's the first place you look when one of your subordinates is having a problem. It's like, hey, what's going on at home? Um, and so that's when, you know, we, we, we have this saying in echelon front, discipline equals freedom. And you need to be disciplined with your own health and your emotional stability as well. And so that, that means like working, being very disciplined about your sleep, on your diet, on your exercise, on all those facets of good health. Um, and that, that's where leadership starts. It starts with you. It starts when you look in the mirror. Um, and if I'm just worried about what I'm going to say to other people, I'm not doing it right. I need to start with, with who I am um, and how I'm showing up. Absolutely. That makes me think of a, another question, Jason, on... Uh... So some of the times when I talk to senior enlisted or even uh, mid-level enlisted soldiers in the Army, uh, a lot of the times I I get the feeling that they have kind of given up hope um, on the future or they've kind of given, got the, the, uh, the impression that they cannot fix everything that's broken or they cannot fix the things that they don't have control of. And, you know, obviously, as a senior enlisted, we try to inspire them and say, you know, you do have some control. You can fix these things. And it's not all broken. And there, there is hope. What, uh, do you have any ex- specific experience where you felt that you could not control what was happening within your teams or you had given up hope on whether uh, you could fix all the broken things, and then how did you handle that? Does that question make sense? Yes, it makes complete sense. So okay. when, when I get a scope of like the, 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 the issues in the picture is too big. And so when I was paying attention to the news all day long, because it was up in the workspace, Okay. And everything is like, oh, this is a problem. Oh, this is a problem. It's breaking news. This just happened and the world's going to end. We're all these things that, that this stuff doesn't matter. It doesn't matter. And then what really matters is what happens in, in my fire team or in my squad or in my platoon. That's all that matters. And all that matters is how we treat each other. And when I started paying attention to not what the media was feeding me, but what was going on in my community and at work, then, then I was like, okay, wait, everything isn't broken. It's, it's a human nature to complain about stuff, right? Sure. And so I remember when, when I came in, all the older guys were like, oh, it's all over now, you know? All you guys know how to do is play video games and you don't work hard. And then, and then I grew up and I caught myself doing the same thing, complaining mm-hmm. about Project. the millennials or, or whoever else. And it's like, well, they, they need to know why. We used to just go do stuff. Well, no, actually we didn't. And people are actually better off if they know why. Yep. 
I have a series of questions that I'll, I'll ask people. And so I have a friend who is an E5, and he doesn't get along with the staff sergeant he works under. And it's because he has difficulty checking his ego sometimes. And I'm like, hey, are you better off having an antagonistic relationship with your staff sergeant or a good relationship? It's like, oh, well, it's better off having a good relationship. But the guy's never wrong. Like, whatever. <laughs> How is your life going to be better? Antagonistic right. relationship or good relationship? And that, that, that question, when you ask it, pops you right out. Because mm. then the answer is obvious. It's obvious, but it doesn't occur to you in the moment because that person came over and yelled at you for something. And you're like, this isn't my fault. Why are you yelling at me? You take it personally. And otherwise, just like, all right, I'll just get it done and, and, and move forward. But those, sure. those questions are, are huge. Like, okay, hey, what can you fix these things? What can you do to square it away to fix it? It's taking advice from the Claymore anti-personnel mind and orienting yourself front towards enemy. And where people get frustrated and anxious is when they're not looking directly at the problem, it's offset a little bit and they think it's something they can't control. And if you can have a conversation like, okay, well, what is your big issue? Well, these kids today won't do stuff. Well, what about that kid? He appears to be doing the right thing. And I wonder if we can't get some of these other folks to do it. Let's dig into it. And, and when people then orient themselves towards the issue and then come up with a plan, that frustration starts to melt away. Yeah, that makes total sense. You know, and then, you know, the E4 Mafia is the E4 Mafia. We know yes, it is. they're going to complain know. about everything and they're smarter than all of us. Okay. Just ask cool. them. Cool. Just ask them, right? <laughs> and then, but most times when you sit down to them and you lay everything out, they'll be like, eh, okay, got it. You know, we have the conversation like, well, hey, man, if somebody doesn't know you and the commander comes around and, and he sees you that you look like that, does he think that you're actually keeping up with all the other stuff you're supposed to do? Well, no, might not, you know. Um, it's It starts with having those conversations where, and the first thing that you can do that's going to give you the best access, because there's, there's a wall in the way, because they don't think you're a person. So you got to figure out what do you have in common with them. And it may mean that you need to start watching a little bit of YouTube and figure out what kind of video games they play or whatever else it is, but there's, sure. there's probably something else that you have in common with them, you know. They probably watch The Witcher just like you do or whatever the TV show is sure. and develop, push it out on that. Yeah. I have a question, sir. It's, uh, it pivots to a little bit more seriousness. Uh, not that all these topics aren't serious, but this one's really serious and it has to do with suicide. Mm -hmm. And I'll, I'll tell you, I think that um, we're, we're doing our best to try to normalize uh, a behavioral health. Uh -huh. And in your industry, in your work, I would, I would, uh, I think that you guys have probably done a better job in normalizing that more quickly than we have, only because of the, um, you know, of the the events that you guys witness and are a part of. How did you, or how do you normalize um, behavioral health? They so we we've got a problem, and the problem is there aren't enough. There aren't enough psychologists to go around in the military, and, and so that's where the chaplain are going to step in and fill that void because that they're for a huge 
portion of the people, there's someone that you can see. It's still, I think we've come a long way, but it's still seen as weakness when you go ask for help. Yes. Uh, when I got back from my 2009 deployment, I was a hot mess. I was addicted to Ambien, so I wasn't sleeping right at all. And then I was self-medicating with alcohol every day. My temper was like a three millisecond fuse to go off at everything. My wife looked at me and she's just like, hey, you're not the same person that went on deployment. Please go see the counselor. And because in my relationship, I think I've kind of like outrun my coverage or whatever. I'm, I don't want to mess things up with my wife. I was like, okay. And so I got a hold of the, the, the psychologist that we had. And thank goodness, like for some people, maybe antidepressants is the right answer. He was a psychologist, so he couldn't prescribe them. And he, so he didn't. Um, because there, there, there's a, there's... Maybe there's an overdependency on meds. I, I, I want to stop short of saying that they're bad because for some people they need them. But I started seeing the psychologist and he worked me really hard and it was, was good stuff. So what I started doing is, is um, and, and this is at the point now where I promoted up to a level that I have to tell everybody where I am on my office door. And so when I would go to see the psychologist and sign out, you know, hey, 1300 at the Sykes. And I would let everybody know that I was going to the psychologist. And what initially my little ego was telling me is like, hey, if you tell people you're going to the psych, they're going to lose respect for you. What was actually happening is people are like, really? What's it like? You know? And then um, as I noticed in my teammates, so I would see teammates having the same issue that, that, that I would have. And I would find that... Um, when I noticed that in, in them, what didn't work was going, hey, I noticed you got pretty angry at some stuff that didn't really make any difference. Do you want to talk about it? That doesn't work because I'm hurling a spear at them, right? So instead, what I would do is like some emotional jujitsu, and it's jujitsu is not a good word because I'm not trying to win, but here's what's effective, is a bump into them at the gym or at the coffee mess, and I go, hey, how's it going? And I know they're not doing good because they just got mad about something that didn't matter and completely lost their temper. Right. And they're always like, oh, it's good. And then I would say, yeah, man, you know what? I've been struggling lately. And then they'd be like, really? I'm like, yeah. Well, what with? I'm like, well, with my temper, man, it's out of hand. Have you ever seen me lose my temper about stuff that doesn't matter? And they're like, well, yeah, I remember like a year ago, I saw you lose your temper over something that didn't matter. I'm like, right? And and I go, like, I'll drive home from work all frustrated from the man drama we deal with every day here and then get home. My kids are running around the house. The house is a mess. And I'll get there. Within five minutes, I'm yelling at my kids. And they're not doing anything wrong. They're just being kids. And so just not a good way to be. So I've been seeing the psych and it's hard work, but it's helping me a lot. And I've got my relationship with my kids is a lot better. My relationship with my wife is doing a lot better. It's a lot better. I got a lot of work to do, but it's, it's helping out. And then I just leave them alone. And then, um, but I watch them. And then I watch real careful. And then next time I see, you know, like one of these temper outbreaks or something, I'm like, hey, bro, do me a favor. Go see the psych. Just go see them once as a favor to me, and if you never see them again, that's good, but it's been helpful for me. Go go see them. And then they would go see them. And typically, 
then they would continue to stay on that path. The bottom line is by making myself vulnerable, it always encouraged other people to make themselves vulnerable, deal with themselves. And then as I'm introspective about any problem, whenever I hear someone else go public about like, hey, here's some of the struggles that I have. And hey, when I look in the mirror, I beat myself up. As soon as I find out I'm not the only one, that's like someone just took an 80 pound rock out of my rucksack. And so it just lightens the load up. And I can't, I don't live inside anyone else's heads, but I suspect that every, all of us have got the same, we all have the same struggles. We all don't think that we're good enough. We all think that we have these issues. And then as soon as you hear someone else has got the same issue, you're like, oh wait, it's not just me. Cool. The note on your door to me was just a great example of leadership by example. You put the note on the door, you made sure people knew you were going, it normalized that behavior. Yeah, yeah. yeah. It, it went, it took it a step forward. We got it. We have to keep going further with um, normalizing going to see psychologists. You know, like if you break your transmission, most people don't go on YouTube and try and fix a transmission. And, you know, if you get an abscessed tooth, you're not trying to deal with that. You go and see the dentist. Perfect. Um, and so if you're, if you're hurting, then you go and get help. Here's the thing, though. When people get caught in that downward spiral, they don't realize that they're in it. And so that's where, as teammates, as, you know, if you consider your unit a family, that's where we look out for each other. We watch each other, and then we got to make time for each other and be present for each other to help them when they get in those situations. Jason, I'm sure you'll agree that uh, even before you get in trouble, uh, it's like going to the gym before you get out of yeah. shape. You know, go seek that help uh, and become resilient. Seek your chaplain's help. Seek your psychological health professionals long before there's trouble. Normalize that behavior. Yeah, that's a great. That's perfect. Absolutely. Just get in front of maintenance. maintenance. So, yeah. It goes along with that, uh, like you say, Jason, of taking care of yourself. Yep. I mean, if you're mentally taking care of yourself, you're going to be a better human being. You're going to be a better leader. You're going to be a better family member, as well as getting that good sleep and taking care of your diet and your exercise. Yep. Take care of your mental as well. And that's, that's critical. And us as leaders, we have to do that. Um, and I find that uh, a lot of the times we will... As leaders, we will talk about taking care of yourself. Yeah. You got to take care of yourself. Got to take care of yourself. And we'll give some examples. You know, get some sleep, get eat good food. But then we pile on a multitude of tasks for everybody to do where they don't get the ability to get good sleep. I can remember being out in the field for three weeks and it's like, yep, we got to get some good sleep. And then we got to be here at 0300 and it's 1000 right now, but we got all these mission prep things to do. It's going to get taken to about 01. But take care of yourself, get some food, get some sleep. All right, see you in the morning. Right on. How do you manage that? Yeah, well, and there are some times where, where they're like in issues, like where you have a forest fire and you're going to have to go a week without sleep. But sure. you just can't have that be the standard. Right. And that's a problem with all of SOF is they can't say no. And pretty soon they're just doing everything. And, the, and, and that ability to set those boundaries and say no is, is really, really important. My task unit commander, when we went to Afghanistan, every time we went in the field, he was already on a sleep deficit of 20, probably he hadn't slept in 24 hours, going in the field. And that meant that 8 or 9 a.m., 
in the morning after the sun came up, he's like, hey, I got to get some sleep. And so then that would leave me alone with the Joint Tactical Air Controllers, and I'd be dropping all kinds of bombs. I'm like, <laughs> the aircraft are like, hey, we're going to check off station. I'm like, well, what do you have left? And they're like, oh, we've got a couple of GBU-38s or whatever. I'm like, oh, okay, hey. And I'd already kind of learned, like, it doesn't appear to be a Taliban fighting position. It is a Taliban fighting. They're just dropping everything. And then he figured that out, and he started getting some more sleep. He <laughs> 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 would keep his eye on me <laughs> during the day. I think that's critical, taking care of yourself, because then it shows the example <clears throat> that soldiers need to take care of themselves, which I think will ultimately, Chief, reduce the amount of suicides. Yeah, I'd, I'd like to think so. Yeah, I'd like to have hope for that. Yeah. You, you know, and then what I, my understanding when we really are at, the biggest risk for suicide is when folks transfer. Oh, yeah. And they're hmm. in between units. Now, I know that, that uh, alcohol and lack of sleep are huge factors in every military suicide, but also when people are in between is another spot where they're at high risk because they're not part of a unit and they don't feel like they belong. And I, I think if you got to a situation where someone has a sense of belonging to a unit, that they wouldn't consider it because they would not want to let their teammates down. Very true. And so looking at ways that you can make people feel like they belong to the unit, and that's, that's like just including them in some of the decision-making processes, paying attention to what, what they've got going on in their personal lives and all that. Um, yeah, we're, so... You look at the issue right now with the, the Ukraine and Russia, and the the U, Ukrainians just appear to be mauling the Russians, even though the Russians are completely outman and out-equip them. Right. And I think it's because the, the Russian, I don't think the Russians care that much about their soldiers, and they have an overall centralized command. You talk about that sense of belonging and, and I think that fosters or builds pride. And when you have pride, you have a certain level of confidence that gets mm -hmm. built up. And, and that all kind of comes together, I think. Uh, and that's similar even in our organization here. We talked a little bit this weekend. We talked a lot, actually, about this this weekend. Uh, I'm, I'm pivoting again to another question. But uh, our, our chain of command, our trust in our leadership chains of command requires us to be, you know, pri have pride in our organization. How is it that you think, what's, what's a good technique as a senior enlisted people, a person, what's a good technique for us to use to help build pride and foster trust in the leadership chain of command? Above us? Below us, our subordinates. Oh, oh. yeah, we, you, you have to find those, that pieces of common ground and find out where, and treat them with respect. Don't ever talk down to somebody, talk to them. Uh, there was one one admiral that was in charge, our two-star that was in charge of all naval special warfare. Every time I had an interaction with the guy, it was like I was talking to my grandpa. He was so cool. Um, and he would just go, hey, Master Chief, how's it going? What do you think about how everything's going here? Hey, how can I support you better? And I was always like, hey, I think this is going great. I think hopefully we can, we can apply some more pressure here. And honestly, I had everything I needed. So I was like, hey, I'm, I'm good to go. Um, but having those on, and then he would just say, how's your family doing? 
You got kids? How old are they? How is it being deployed over Christmas? How are you able to talk to them? And then just the fact that we had those conversations and he was actually, and you know, you can't fake the concern. You actually have to be concerned. And so maybe the mental game you've got to play with yourself is like, if your team thinks that you like them, your life's going to be easier. So like your team, because it's going to be better for you. Whatever you've got to do to get over that hurdle to actually care about them, do it. Hey, and one of the things I brought up in there is like what we always did anytime we had a flag level visit. So like for us, if it was an admiral or like an, an 06 coming to visit our command, like our, our Commodore. And there were two ways people dealt with that, right? One way is to send everybody home during the visit so you don't run the risk of anybody being a goofball in front of the, the senior uh, officer and then closing off a bunch of access. The other way is to just say, hey, everybody, and, and this is one of those things that this comes straight to your mouth to everyone at the command. So this isn't something I would put out in an O call to get disseminated through the leaders. This is important. I want to say it to everybody. So at like a formation, I'm telling all the troops, hey, this Friday, we've got the Commodore is coming over to visit us. And that's our 06, the guy who's in charge of all the SEAL teams on the West Coast. He's going to be here at nine o'clock. This is our home. Let's take pride in it. Let's make sure it looks good. Make sure you're in a good uniform so you get a good impression on him. And then when you interact with the Commodore, and I want you, if you see him, smile at him and say, hey, Commodore, how's it, go how's it going? And then you address him as Commodore. You, you, I, I want to arm them with how to respectfully address the Commodore. And I'm like, we want him to feel that he is our favorite uncle that we haven't seen in a year, and we're stoked to see him again. Because you know what? Our life is going to be easier if, if, if we are, if he has a soft spot for our command, our lives are going to be easier. It's going to be better. We're going to get that extra money to do some of those extra training trips you want, or we're going to get that extra something if, if we do that. And, and it always worked out great. They would come over, they would interact with everybody, and it would be a great experience for them. And then after that, you know, if that's a huge deposit of leadership capital or that account with that Commodore. And after that, if it's ever, it's like, hey, we have this issue and um, can you help us out? Every time they would. And we would do that anytime we got a flag level visit with a general or any kind of dignitary, you do it. And it just pays off in spades later because those people will, can make make big decisions, and if they know if they they had a good experience with you, your life is just going to be easier. And the troops will see that. They'll see that they're like, "Wow, I I interacted with the commodore and he didn't scream at me, and no one else yelled at me, and you know, and it's all that." And I was like, "Hey, if you're going to complain about the boots that you're getting, just let me know that you're going to do that. But I don't want you to stop <laughs> talking to him." But it's not fair you, for you to go directly to him on, on an issue that I haven't heard about, you know? And, and, and having that direct interaction is great because the, the commoner will go, hey, you know, what do you think needs, if he's good, he's saying to that E5, hey, what do you suppose we could do to fix this place around here? And I want him to ask those questions. And I want the E5 to tell him his honest answer and then we can look at it and fix things. 
as long as the E5 is doing it in a respectful manner. And hopefully I've heard about it. But if I haven't heard about it, that's fine. I'm strong. I can deal with whatever the issue is. It's all these relationships. I mean, it's just so much easier to influence the outcome when you have pre-established relationships. Oh, absolutely. Building and maintaining them. Rule rule number one, relationships matter. Yeah. 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 Uh, you know, and then another thing like professionalism equals freedom of movement. Mm-hmm. Relationships equal mission success. Right. You want the mission to succeed, you got to have good relationships with everybody. Yeah, you talked earlier about uh, decentralized command, and that was something uh-huh. that really uh, hit home with me because it's something we're really working on closely is re-empowering our airmen, um, mm-hmm. and, and soldiers as well, uh, at the lowest appropriate level. Uh, and a lot of times that becomes difficult um, uh, twofold. One, leaders that don't want to let go of authority and responsibility, I don't want to say power, but um, really just kind of keeping that all to themselves. And then... Uh, lower level um, members that don't necessarily want to embrace their roles, responsibility, and authority because it's just easier sometimes if someone up front is taking that that risk and um, kind of holding that to themselves. Is that something you've ever encountered in in your experience for team building? And just curious how you, you overcame that, particularly from um, leaders around you that don't necessarily want to release authority. Yeah, you just have to explain to them that it's not scalable. It's, they're so much better off if they're releasing the authority and it's like, hey, you're not getting paid to do the job anymore. You're getting paid so that these other people learn how to do it. Here's the, here's the obstacle. It's the efficiency loss initially. If I know how to do something really well mm. and I'm teaching someone else how to do it, there's an, there's an efficiency loss in the short term. In the long term, you're much better off. Okay, so my son doesn't know how to tie his shoes. Only take me 30 seconds to tie the kid's shoes. Great. Now it's high school and he's going to school with Velcro shoes. That's a lose-lose, right? But initially there's an efficiency loss with my time for that first week where it's like, I think to get my son to tie his shoes, I just spent like 10 minutes a day over a five-day period. And by Thursday, he was pretty good. By Friday, he had it done. But I'd lost that 50 minutes. But then if I add up all the 30 seconds for the rest of the time of me just doing the really quick thing and tying his shoes that's it's faster but it's that initial hurdle and that's where we talk about discipline equals freedom because it takes discipline to make it through that loss of efficiency to get to the other side where now they know how to do it and they've made their mistakes and now you have the freedom then now as a leader you're not having to look down and in you can look up and out um and some folks, you've got to rein them back and other folks, you've got to push them a little bit. And that's just the, the, the now it's going to vary based on the person. Gotcha. So we've been talking a lot about building relationships and, you know, there's a lot of challenges in leading people. And, and you said that leadership is the most powerful tool that we have as human beings. And, and, and I believe that it is. I'm right there with you. It, it can also be one of the most frustrating and one of the most difficult, but, but can absolutely bring us the most joy. Mm-hmm. And in um, the rewards are, are so high. When you are at an award ceremony and you see the absolute pride of one of your subordinates getting that award, I just about pop. It's like the best thing ever. It's the best thing. I, I really liked, like the watching the younger folks come up 
And I'll be honest with you, say what you want about the millennials. When I measure who I was when I was, say, a platoon chief against the platoon chiefs that I led when I was a command master chief, they were better than me, I think. I'm, yeah, they were, be- they were better leaders, and it gave me such pride to see them do better. And, you know, just to see the pride when someone brings in a new baby into, the wor- in, into work, you know, mom's doing whatever, and I got the kid with me this weekend or whatever, that's awesome. And it's, it's like, you know, parenting, when you watch your kid do anything for the first time, it's way better than when you did it. And so those are those, those awesome, those awesome, they're, they're not, they're almost intangible, but these rewards of leadership where you see that they're doing great and you're proud for them, you know, it's, it's something that'll move you in, in incredible ways. Well, Jason, thanks so much for sharing some more of your leadership lessons with us. Blessings to you and your family and work. Follow Jason on social media, uh, share some great stuff. One of the things we didn't get to was um, just some of the some of the things that you do outside of the military and leadership context to to stay grounded and and to develop yourself as a as a whole uh, as a holistic person. So, hey, thank you again for spending so much time with us today. Thanks for having me. It's great to do this in person and not through the you know clicky Zoom call or whatever we did last time. It's great. Yeah, Chief Cotter, Chief Inkle, and uh, Commissioner Major Smith. Thank you guys again, and God bless you too, and, you. and the people thank that you. you serve. Thanks. Thank you. Thanks, awesome. Jason. Thank you. This podcast is produced by the Oregon National Guard Public Affairs Office. My prayer for you is that wherever you find yourself, that you might find hope for today and strength for the ambiguity and chaos of life. Blessings on the rest of your day.